Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with entrepreneur and businessman Andrew Nickel. Andrew Nickel, mate, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much. Now, um, I've got to, I really do have to say thank you because uh, I was just saying off air when I was talking to your PA about organising this, um, you know, I sort of said I'm free next Tuesday and the following Wednesday and wherever else and she emailed back and said uh, he's got, you know, he's got an hour and Tuesday on in six weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's about right at the moment. <laughs> Is that pretty much what your schedule's like at the moment? It's been like that for the last few years and every year I say I'm going to slow down next year um, and, and uh, I was just saying that we've just had our first baby and um, part of the plan around that was that I was going to work from home more and and try and work a little bit less, see a few less clients. Um, that worked for about two weeks before I got bored and um, yeah, just ramped up again. Wow. Yeah, that's nuts. So look, I'm, I'm hugely appreciative of your time and you're making the time to do this today. Now, there's going to be people that are listening that know who you are from your podcast, from your work, all that sort of stuff. And, and we get into your work and maybe the podcast a bit later on, but um, your, your company, Opus Partners, I think, you know, I'd like to get that as well, but maybe let's talk about you a little bit to sure. start with. So what was your journey like? You know, you, I think I've, you, you, you bought a house at 19, but like, were you at university? Was it, how did it start? Oh God, no. So I, um, we, we bounced around a lot when I was a kid. So we were a poor Christchurch family um, and mum and dad um Worked. My dad, I think, worked two jobs. Mum worked one job, and and there were four of us. And uh, basically, they lived paycheck to paycheck. And um, so when I went to school, I had kind of you know the school education, no financial education really whatsoever. Didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school. And so I was at uh, Middleton Grange. Decided I wanted to do law and commerce, probably because I'd seen Boston Legal, which is you know the old version of suits, mm-hmm. and um, thought yeah, I'd quite like to do that. And I liked the idea of money. I didn't like the idea of not having money because my exposure was the struggles that come with having none. And so I wanted to kind of change that. And so I think at that stage I'd read what I can see in your bookshelf, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, yep, um, which classic. was a great book, and and thought, yeah, okay, I can kind of see myself getting into property and those kind of things. Um, I was going to apply for university, um, and then I entered a competition at school where you had to assume the role of the Reserve Bank and set the interest rate. And then you had to go and present to a panel of the Reserve Bank and tell them why or or justify why you were increasing, decreasing or keeping the OCR the same. And anyway, as part of that, we got a bunch of data from, I think, Westpac. Um, Westpac, uh, one of the human resources people, called me and said, what do you want this information for? And I said, oh, we're doing this school project. Um, And they said, well, have you ever thought about coming and working for the bank when you finish school? I was like 17 at the time. And I thought, actually, that's quite a good idea, idea working for a bank. Um, but I banked with Westpac, and their service was horrendous back in those days. And so I uh, decided, I, I like this idea, so I put together a CV. I think it's the one and only time that I've had a CV. Uh, and I sent it into BNZ, and I sent it into National Bank, because they were two banks I liked. Uh, BNZ wrote back and said, come and have an interview. And a few months later, I had a job at the BNZ when I left school. Wow. So you literally went straight from school. And straight what from was school. the first job? As a teller. So I started off as a teller. Um, and 
I remember going on to their um, their course that they do for tellers, and the first week you learn this very basic system. It was basically like DOS, um, and I remember thinking, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm in way over my depth, and um, learning these uh, systems to kind of do do your debit or your credit from a bank account, all those kind of things, and then I got lumped in a branch. I was, you know, I was probably one of the youngest in the bank. I think I just turned 18, um, and... Yeah, it was horrendous learning all those new systems and me being sat amongst a bunch of little old women that mm-hmm. took care of me. Uh, and then I found my feet um, in kind of sales. So part of BNZ's training back then, and it's very different now, but back then, they're a very sales-focused organization. Uh, and so they'd, they'd had, there's a guy called Marty Cohen, who I think was an American that they put in, um, uh, uh, what are those old tapes called uh, that you put on your VCRs? VCRs. Oh, yeah. So we'd get these tapes and I'd, I'd watch them meticulously. Um, and I remember Sales training. Sales training. And it was needs-based selling. So, um, you know, if, if you're talking to someone and they're making a payment into their bank account and you can see that they've got a payment going out for a car loan, you ask them where the car loan is, are you happy with that? Do you want us to do a review? And so I got really good at spotting those opportunities. Anyway, because my sales numbers were so good, people started to take notice. And uh, then my career kind of progressed from that to uh, uh, what they called a, per, uh, a relation, customer relationship manager, which is where you got an actual desk and you work with people to change their addresses, set up accounts, those kind of basic things. Uh, and, and then from there to a personal banker uh, where you you know, approve loans, overdrafts, those kind of things. And again, every step of the way, way out of my depth. I remember... One of my tricks, I was telling Ed, uh, who's the co-host on our podcast the other day, that one of my tricks, and the reason I could get so much done at the bank, is that I just worked long hours. So the people would come in, they'd say, I need to change my address on this. I'd print off their address kind of format from the this DOS-based system. I'd write down their new address, get them to sign it, and they'll send them on their way. And they'll see another customer, another customer, another customer. Then when at 4.30 when they shut the doors, I'd sit there for about two and a half hours and I'd figure out how the hell am I going to do this and I'd process all these things. So I was a master at mm-hmm. getting shit done. Or can I say that on the yeah, podcast? Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I, uh, I I managed to get um, huge amounts of work done, and and then I had to learn the lending side of things. And at this stage, I'm getting interested in property. I was going along to every property investment seminar I could go to, property investors associations, all that kind of stuff. And I was giving people loans without having had a loan myself. And so I was learning more about the mortgages from the banking side of things, mm-hmm. learning more about debt structures from the property investment circles I kicked around in, and um, then I got involved in property investment myself. So I, I I think it took me about a year to buy my first rental property. I agonized over the purchase. Um, I missed out. I, I was green as anything. Uh, I got, you know, taken for a ride by any real estate agent that could, you know, get me to bid up at, a, at an auction or, or um, uh, you know, use the all the tricks that um, real estate agents still use today to try and get the highest price for their vendor, as mm-hmm. they should. Uh, and, and I finally settled on 20 Bacluse Street, after a long time of negotiation, and that was my first rental property. Wow. How old are you now? 38. 38, and that yep. was at 19. Yeah, 19. Was so wow. 19 years ago. 
Wow, your first one. And um, there's a lot of information there, Pat. Even when you're talking about banks, how things have changed. Like tellers are different at the bank to what they do now, right? Like absolutely, a, there's like three tellers in an entire bank now. You go in there, like you did pretty much everything. Yeah, back count. in those days, you'd, you'd count money. Um, whereas nowadays, they spit it out of a machine. It's amazing the yeah. advances they've made. And to be fair, um, you know, there's there's the banks don't want you to go in there nowadays. It's 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 highly inefficient for them to have tellers, which is why they've got these smart ATMs that you can put your money in, deposit cash. Uh, it counts. For you, counts your coins. It's it's amazing the advances they've made in that time. Yeah, but yeah. also they're not sales organisations now. There's been a lot of changes in terms of regulation for banks, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they can't measure their people like tellers or personal bankers on sales figures. They've got to do them on service and all those kind of things. And look. I think that um, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I think that as a result, you miss opportunities. And it, w- one of the key things that I learned is that if you sell someone something that they need, it's not a, it's, it's just matching yeah. them to a product. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. You should be doing that yeah. as a bank. If you're um, not being proactive or you're not being incentivized to be proactive on that, then you're missing a trick. Yeah. You're not doing. And you're also doing a disservice if you're not selling them something they need. So if you've got, a, you've got a product that they know they need that can make their life situation whatever is better, and you've got it, and you're not selling it because you're not incentivized to it or there's no reason for you to do it, then yeah, you're doing a customer disservice. Yeah, sales is very, yeah, when you even out, it's quite a sort of, um, I mean, you know, capitalistic ideas can get a, a tough name, but it's almost, it's just fair, fair right? Like, it's, it's open market, right? Yeah, for and, sure. And if the service is not good or there's no value in it, it doesn't get bought continuously. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I'm interested to just talk about, you know, you, you, you said you grew up in quite a, you know, in a, in a poor family. Tony Robbins always says things like um, whether that's positive or negative or not, it still helped build you. you Absolutely. Know? And often you find that, you know, people that have been really successful come from environments that are contrary to that. And it's because you're not, you, don't, you don't learn what you do want, you learn what you, you don't want. What you don't want. And, and look, I mean, I, my upbringing was absolutely fine. We didn't get hit as children or anything. We didn't get abused or anything like that yeah. or left left in the car um, with a with a matches to keep us keep us warm. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, our family was loving. Uh, uh, they did everything they could to provide for us, but we knew we were poor. And I knew the struggles that that brought on mum and dad. And I guess I was a mature child um, and being the eldest, I probably took on a lot of that responsibility for the family in terms of their monetary decisions because mum and dad were just you know, uneducated with mm-hmm. those kind of things mm-hmm. and just it went over their head. Yeah. And I remember a guy coming around at one stage and, and he worked for a company which um, helped people pay off their mortgage faster. And there's been lots of these type of organisations around over the, over the years. And basically they show you a pretty graph and they say, okay, well, if you do this, your mortgage will be paid off in 17 years, not 30 years like the bank's documented over. Here's the dirty dark secret about mortgages. The only way you can pay it off faster is by paying more money onto it. There's no trick. Um, even using you know using revolving credit facilities to um, save a bit of interest, it's all it's a fugazi. It doesn't mm. really really work. And my parents live paycheck to paycheck. There's no surplus money. And if your calculator tells you they're surplus, that's because you've put in the wrong data. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to him, "This doesn't make sense to me. I, I I understand about enough about numbers that this doesn't make sense to me." And and taught my parents out of doing it. It would have been the worst decision of their life because they are compulsive spenders. They mm-hmm. would have spent the money that was available in their account at any time and, and they had to because they got four kids to try and raise. Um, and so uh, that kind of made me realise that I, I had a passion to teach people more about money. Yeah. 
And what was it like in, in your family environment when you're, you know, 18, you're working at a bank, you're starting to see these things and make these decisions? Like, um, not saying they weren't, but, you know, you're, 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 you're leaving the herd, so to speak, when you start, you know, trying to buy a house and leverage things at 19 years old. Were they supportive of that? Were your general sort of friends I, and family? Uh, my parents and I didn't really discuss it a lot at the start, probably because I was slightly embarrassed by it. So, for example, as, as I got more successful and I'd, you know, upgrade my car, I wouldn't show them it straight away because it was embarrassing that my car was dad's annual salary. That was that was uncomfortable for me. Um, as time went on, we'd talk more about it and, and it eventually led to me bullying my parents into buying their first investment property um, because in New Zealand, um, I, I think I read a study that parents would rather talk to their kids about drugs and sex than money. And so as a result, we kind of don't have those conversations. We don't have those financial conversations. And so I think um, if, firstly, parents don't necessarily know themselves and then they don't know how to relay that information and that makes it really difficult. Schools are definitely not equipped. Teachers, if you've got any teachers listening, I'm about to offend you. <laughs> You're the worst with your money out of any of the um, uh, <laughs> industries that I work with a, a lot of the time. I have some teachers who are fantastic, but most uh, mostly you're terrible with money. And, and maybe because partly, you know, you're not paid enough. Um, the amount of work that a teacher does for the amount that they're remunerated is, is pathetic in New Zealand, same with nurses. But, um, you know, they're, they're educating um, our kids on all those other things. Um, teaching them how to have a mortgage and how to set a budget is just not part of the curriculum. Yeah, and it seems when you talk about skills that are relevant <laughs> in a life, right, like you leave high school and you can work out the internal angle of a triangle with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never used Pythagoras' theorem for <laughs> anything, um, apart from maybe cutting across the, the, yeah. the backyard yeah. um, in a more uh, more efficient manner. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but it's some of those – and look, I, I actually think education, like school – primary school and secondary school, in my mind, they're more about learning to get on with people and learning how to interact uh, and, and be be social. And, and I think that's been the key to my success. I can um, get on with people from all walks of life and that has more had more of an impact than if I'd gone to university. Mm -hmm. If I'd gone to university, I would have had a job afterwards um, and, and that would have been the worst thing in the world for me because I probably would have got bored. I would have been paid as a nine-to-fiver. I would have been exchanging my time for money. Because I didn't do that, um, I I followed a different path where I started businesses. Mm. Yeah, I think everyone's different. I mean, I'm kind of the same as you, right? I 100% agree. I think that if, if the school, you could probably knock three or four four years off school and go, everyone needs a certain base level of information. You've yep. got to understand basic maths, English, you read, a, you'd write. You've got to write an email. Yeah, all that, all that kind of stuff. But like I said, I don't think there's much of a benefit in kids understanding how chemicals react with each other. And, oh, well, and, hang on, that's fun. <laughs> I used to make gunpowder in the backyard all the time, yeah, so that part was good. Fun, but, you know, like, yeah, at the scale of information that's going to be relevant for you for most of your life, and maybe some people it is, you go, cool, all Terrorists. that stuff's really important. <laughs> or scientists. Yeah, Oh, yeah, all them. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe that stuff's relevant and they can keep going. But I think you're right. That fundamentally at school, you learn how to cooperate with people. You yep. learn how to interact with people. You learn how to uh, – probably a little bit of discipline as well. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, but there's certainly some things that would be far more relevant, as you've already alluded to. 
But staying with, with you just for a little bit longer, if, if you don't mind. So you, you buy your first house, you're working at the bank. Yep. Like you obviously, I mean, what happens next? For you, so so uh, that property, 20 Baclou Street, um, I bought, I was, go- so I was big on chasing the yield. So I wanted to have as much rent as possible. Now I needed that at my starting uh, blocks because um, I, I my income was, I don't know, maybe $27,000 a year. I couldn't afford for that property to be vacant. Remember properties back then were, I think I paid $230,000 for that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I um, had to renovate it and make it a bit nicer. I was doing it all myself, uh, my, my girlfriend and my ti- uh, at the time and myself. So I'd leave the bank at 7 p.m. I'd go to this house and we'd strip wallpaper and we'd paint. We did a horrendous job of it, by the way. Um, anyway, I, I did um, that over the course of a couple of months after after work. Um, while the people were living in it, uh, they were getting divorced, so it was a bit of an awkward situation. We'd go around <laughs> there and then start ripping off their wallpaper. Uh, and we got it to a level where we were happy with how, how it was presented. Now, we were going to rent that out at $80 per room, and it was five bedrooms, so it was at $400 a week. And um, I remember I contacted a property manager, and said, I want you to rent this out for me. He came round. The guy's still in the industry now, uh, and he was uh, he was an ex-cop. He was as hard as nails, and he came round and he said, this property looks great. Um, you should sell it. And I said, but you're a property manager. I'm going to be a property investor. I don't want to sell it. And he said, no, it's got, people are going to move in here and break your heart. They're not going to look after it. Um, they're going to trash it. It's a shit property in a shit area. Sell it now. And I thought, well, I know better than you because I'm 19 and read some books. And so I rented it out myself. Anyway, um, that was a disaster. And I had people sleeping in the garage at one stage. Um, I was managing it myself. Terrible things. I've done everything wrong in property investment as well as everything right. And um, I eventually realized, yeah, that guy, David, was probably quite right. Put it on the market, sold it, made a profit of maybe $20,000. And I thought I was the next Donald Trump. Um, and uh, so we started reinvesting that money buying other properties. That girlfriend and I split, and um, I took my money, started um, buying different properties around the uh, the city. I started to realize I wasn't a great renovator. I did a few more renovation projects. I think I was still living with my parents at the time. So I was at the bank. Uh, uh, there was a granny flat at the back of their house at Wilson's Road. Um, I moved into that. I... Um, eventually ended up buying that house off them and uh, then we renovated the hell out of that one Um, again uh, that was to a better standard because I had one of my friends um, Tim um, from primary school that we we, um, he was a carpenter so he actually had some skills Mm -hmm. Um, we uh, renovated that property rented it out for a number of years and then I eventually moved out of the family home maybe I was 22 and I just kept renting and buying rental properties. Yeah. So my philosophy was: Why would you have a? Why would you have your own house? You just tie up all this equity. I didn't have a. Um, I didn't have you know a long term partner. I didn't have kids. I'll just keep renting. And so I rented. Um, funnily enough, I only bought my first house two years ago at the tender age of thirty six. I did that because I was bullied into it by my partner um, because she was nesting uh, and wanted to have, start a family. So uh, she said, "Why don't we buy a house?" Um, I said, yes, you can look at some properties and I'll go to some open homes, which is a painful experience. Um, she'd already chosen the property. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. We went and looked at it. We negotiated it, bought the house and moved in. I don't think I'll ever move again. It's, it, you know, that's a done deal. Um, and all the purchases that I've ever made as property have been for investment purposes. So you've rented it up until two years. Absolutely. Rented, rented. Yep. I rented an apartment in town. Uh, I loved it. 500 bucks a week. Um, Central City apartment above Vino Fino, in case anyone from Christchurch knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walked downstairs, buy my wine. 
it was fantastic and a great efficient way of me making money because all of my rental properties make more than $500 a week. So I pay $500 to live where I want to live and then I collect rent from everyone else. Yeah. Interesting. And when did the point come? So you're 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 buying properties, you're renting yourself. When does the point come professionally when you decide to start or open your first business? So I um so when I was working at the bank, I was about three years there, and they didn't really know what to do with me, uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, they wanted to advance me. Um, but I wasn't sure what kind of role. So I went in uh, at like 20. I was the branch manager of this, uh, one of their, I think they call them satellite branches over in Littleton for a while. Now, branch manager is actually a glorified babysitter. Um, so I went in there and to, to basically, they were having some kind of arguments between some of the older lady staff members. So they thought, we'll put this 20 year old kid in there and, and see if he can straighten them out. I think they straightened me out. Um, <laughs> and it was actually, it was good fun, but it was it just didn't interest me. Uh, then I wanted to be a, mo- a mobile mortgage manager. That was the other thing that they had planned for me. And so I went out with a guy called Tony Mounts, who's a legend in the mortgage circles in New Zealand for the day. And this guy was great. He was just on. Uh, he he drove me around um, and he'd do an application and an appointment in about five minutes and then we'd race back to his office and he'd do exactly what I did. He'd key it all into the software and he'd get an approval. And I thought, yeah, I could see myself doing that. Now, as we were going through the uh, the bank requirements for me to be a mobile mortgage manager, um, a, a guy came into the branch and he was a mortgage broker. And he said, no, you don't want to be, a, you don't want to um, work for the bank and do that, you want to go out independently because then you can offer all the banks. Now, BNZ didn't work with mortgage brokers at this stage and we were we were told they're evil, they're terrible. You, no one's going to sell your product better than you. Um, and probably back then that was true for BNZ products because they had some good products. Uh, and I thought, actually, I could probably give that a run. So I started working, I quit the bank and I started working with this guy. We sold mortgages for a number of years. I was a good mortgage broker. Again, I'd, I'd kind of specialise in investing in property. Um, after a few years after that, Tony Mounts got made redundant from the BNZ, and he and I joined joined forces, and and we worked together for a while. And then I think it was about the time, just before the Christ, oh no, just after the Christchurch earthquake. So what's that? Twelve years ago. Uh, that essentially I was self-employed as a mortgage broker, but it's not a business. Again, I'm exchanging time for money. I'm making more money. I was very successful as a mortgage broker. Um, and a friend of mine who was giving me a whole lot of business from his company, which was kind of like Opus, but in a much more basic version, um, the earthquakes hit. He lost his office in town. We lost our office in town. And he said, my business is fucked. Um, what am I going to do? And he said, I need a financial advisor. I need to rebuild this and kind of change my way of doing it. I need you to come work with me. So we started a company called Quantum, uh, which was a a very watered-down version of Opus. Um, We were in uh, business together for a few years. We were good friends. Um, uh, It got to the point where I recognized that he was taking money out of the company bank accounts. Um, That was very uncomfortable for me because I was very young. I must have been about 27, 28. Um, How old was he? Oh, he was much older, 10 years older than me. Um, And I felt so uncomfortable about having the conversation with him that I thought I'll just leave and so I walked away from that business I went into him and I said hey look this isn't working for me um, I'm I'm going to leave I'm going to start my own thing a bit more of a basic version of this um, I went out and I agonised over um, 
opening an office in New Regent Street. I think the lease was $30,000 a year and it just was so scary to me to even think about that, let alone put my name to a lease, commercial lease. I partnered up with two other guys uh, that were friends of mine. I, I, I am successful in business when I've got good business partners around me. So um, along the way, I've had wins and losses with business partners, um, but the success of my business I can credit, particularly now, to my two other business partners or, or three other business partners in different businesses um, because I like a running mate. And I can be leading the charge, but I like a running mate. I like a sounding board and someone that I can trust who has a vested interest. And so Opus was started uh, nine years ago, and there have been a lot of a lot of spin-off businesses from that. I mean, essentially, you know, we're a property investment advisory, property investment coaching business. But more than that, we're a marketing business. We sell the concept of property investment. Now, people can choose to use us or not, but a few years ago, um, we decided we were going to lift the skirt on everything that we did. This was um, Ed, one of my business partners' idea. He said, look, this is going to be a concept that you're not going to like. We've got all this IP that we've got that people have to decide to engage with us to use. But it's all secret. People don't know how smart they are, uh, how smart we are until they've gone through the process. Why don't you just tell everyone all the secrets and if they do it themselves, then great, we've done a good thing for the industry. If they decide they don't want to do it themselves and use us, then that's great as well. And I was definitely reluctant to do that. And I think um, that probably one of the pivotal times that I invested in this heavily was in the first COVID lockdown. So uh, first COVID lockdown hits, we, we were doing pretty well as a company at that stage. We had the property management, we had, um, I think, property management in the accounting business as well. And uh, uh, because I had more time, because I wasn't traveling, um, uh, in the COVID lockdown, I read a bunch of books and I decided, yeah, actually... We can do this. So we started doing webinars because while we couldn't make any money in that time, and I didn't know whether or not I'd have a business at the tail end of it, I decided people need some help now and to feel comfortable because the secret to property investment is buy a property, hold on to it for a long time. You'll make money, right? But it can be quite scary along the way. Like right now, we've got rising interest rates, tightening bank criteria, falling house prices. Now's a good time for people to lose their shit and sell. But you just got to educate through that. So what we did is we started to do webinars, and we did a webinar once a week. I don't know how the hell we found the time for that. We did a webinar once a week to talk to people about what's going to happen in the market over the next week. Well, meanwhile, the media is telling us house prices are going to drop by forty percent. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And that was probably. Uh, I think we were doing the podcast at this stage, but it wasn't what it is today. Uh, and we, I think, at the first webinar we had maybe a hundred people sign up. Um, tonight's one we've got 2,000 people turning up uh, it's growing exponentially as we've just kept kept doing the process of educating people and and again we educate people all the time that don't necessarily use our service um, I'm now completely fine with the fact that that's okay doesn't matter so long as someone does mm. I'm okay mm-hmm. what's the um, what, what do you reckon the but like, so if you got two thousand people on tonight, for example, what would be the turnaround from, um, you know, where they are now, where they're just like a like we call them a lead or, a, or someone that's interested, yep. um, to someone then going on and someone and, doing something. Yeah. So what will happen is, um, of the two thousand people that have signed up, a thousand people show up mm-hmm. tonight and watch it live, and the other thousand, uh, eight hundred of those will watch it uh, on replay tomorrow, uh, and then you lose a few. 
because that's just how it goes. Um, of the 1,000 people that show up, 10% of those, so 100 people will sign up to have a one-on-one session with our team. And from that, we'll probably have um, 50 people actually put pen to paper and buy an investment yeah. property. Yeah, 50. So what's that, like two and a half, 5% yep. pretty much, yeah, from your from It is um, very good numbers from an industry standpoint. Yeah. Uh, um, I always want more. Yeah. But, but well, it's good numbers than anything. You're saying like you're talking about a fundamental, um, you know, philosophy to change in your business where you're a paradigm shift even when you go, let's, in fact, you know, as a service-based business, you go, well, actually, let's just give everything away and then see, you know, see what happens. Because we don't charge for our service, that's that's the hard part because you think, well, now I've got no opportunity. I'm not charging for a webinar. I'm not charging for a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not charging for the articles. And in fact, we, we'll, we'll map out. We're, we're about to release a book. Um, so a book comes out next month, Wealth Plan, which is all about New Zealand's problem or the world's problem about people having a journey, a financial journey during life. And most of the time, people will get to halfway through their working life, say 45, 50, 45, and they'll suddenly go, holy shit, I've got a mortgage, I've got a little bit in KiwiSaver, I'm halfway through my work life, and I'm not halfway through my savings goal. So I've got a wealth gap. How am I going to fill that? Now, I love property. That's what I do. But there's all sorts of ways you can do that. But we focus on identifying first what your wealth gap is and what you need to do to fill it. Because if you don't know what your goal is, you're never going to hit it. And so um, uh, our book talks about that and and our software. So we have an internal software called Wealth Plan where, where um, our, our um, financial advisors will sit down and go, you're here, you're going to be here, this is the gap, here's how you can fill it with property. Now that, that was kind of, uh, that was one of my um, great ideas that I had that I thought well, this is better than anyone else in the market. One of my staff left, um, I don't know, a year or so ago, went to one of our competitors. Um, they've just released online their version of Wealth Plan. Looks mm-hmm. remarkably like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I am releasing mine for free. So anyone will have access to this from November so that anyone in New Zealand can sit down and go, this is my wealth plan, how am I going to fill it? Um, because, again, I think the better thing for me to do as a business owner and, and actually just as a decent person is to give people the tools to make up their own mind. And, again, that goes back to the fact that we're not selling anyone anything then. We're just giving them a solution. Um, if you are invested in your plan, you're going to stick to it. There's nothing I can say to convince you to do something you don't want to do. So we'll just give you the tools and say, look, this is the mass of it. If you carry on the trajectory that you are – you're going to be really disappointed when you get to the end of your work life and you actually can't enjoy it. And um, so about a year ago, uh, just over a year ago, uh, my dad had just turned 65 uh, and um, he they still had a pretty severe mortgage on their house. Um, they had... Um, bugger all in KiwiSaver, and he was still working quite a a taxing job. He was a a truck driver. And um, so for his birthday, uh, my partner and I uh, uh, wrote him a card to let him know we're going to pay off his mortgage so he didn't have to do that, Uh, didn't have to work as much anymore. Um, A couple of weeks later, he died. Now, that was a pretty big realisation that there's someone that has worked their whole life so that they can finally get some time to enjoy life, and he's robbed of that. Now, most people aren't going to be that lucky. <laughs> most people are going to live in their retirement with no money. And that's that sucks even more. Um, so so I think um, we we owe it to uh, the, the, everyone in New Zealand to make people aware that, yeah, most people have got a wealth gap 
and you've got to fill it somehow. Doesn't matter how you fill it. You've just got to know what it is and what you're willing to compromise because you might not need $200,000 a year. You might be quite happy with $50,000 a year. Therefore, you don't have to work as hard or as long because if you need a lesser amount, you shouldn't work because yeah. life's, life's, too, life's too short just for work, right? Yeah. So you need to set yourself up so you're in a position that you can stop working whenever you want and enjoy your time with your kids and your family. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was just thinking we've we've sort of um, you know we've we've got right into the, the details here a little bit, but we probably there's probably people listening that don't actually we've you've sort of glossed over a little what Opus does. We sort of have oh, you know I that's understand that's my ADHD. Yeah, you you understand clearly, and I understand you know loosely from from the outside, but we haven't you know. Could you give someone a, a sixty second synopsis of what your your company does? Yeah, so essentially we're a property education service. We educate people on how to invest in property in New Zealand the right way. And by the right way, I mean the way that I do it, the way that um, after 19 years, I've learned what works and what doesn't. Now, there's only two ways you can invest in property now. Because the government's changed all the tax laws around buying a rental property and, and what's counted as an expense and what isn't, which is sometimes referred to as the interest deductibility rules, um, there are two ways that you can successfully invest. You can buy new and be exempt from those those changes, or you can buy a property and renovate it extensively to get the income up. So we offer those two services. So we either coach people on how to buy new and build a portfolio. So um, it starts out by the for, with the why. So like I said before, we'll say, right, you're here now. And at 60, when you want to stop working, um, you're going to be here. So you're going to be 30% of the way to your goal. And then what we'll do is we'll map out someone's portfolio and figure out if you were to invest in property, what would you need to have? And it might be that you need to acquire two properties over the next three years. Then we put a plan in place to do that and find the properties. And then because we're because we try and make it as easy as possible for someone to be as hands-off as possible, we will offer each of the services along the way. So we do the property selection, the mortgage broking, uh, uh, insurance, accounting, property management. Yeah, to so take everything. And then and that, those those things you just listed there, those are umbrellas under... Yep, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah. and a couple of magazines, which yeah. are terrible businesses, but but again, I do it for the love of the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how, like, is that, how did it start off? I mean, we sort of talked a little bit how it started off, but was that the... Was it that diverse when you started off? Or was it no, no, no. So I, I, um, I just, I just love property, uh, and that's my like core really? focus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I thought um, I was a mortgage broker giving property advice to people back in the days where you could actually do that as a mortgage broker. And I thought surely there's got to be a better way of doing doing this. Um, and so again, you know, working with different people and having that previous business partner uh, who, who who kind of showed me a business model that worked with this, I thought, um, yeah, you can absolutely build something on educating people. And then if you match a property, you make essentially a real estate fee. So it's kind of a a, a a real estate a real estate service where you're offering some financial advice. So we're a financial advice business, not a real estate business, but we sell a lot of real estate because uh, the people that we engage with mm. want to buy real estate. Yeah, and the, but, pri- the primary in your primary activity is actually marketing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually a marketing business <laughs> essentially, and. Um, it started off just being as simple as we'd meet with someone and we'd match a property to them. And then as those clients came up for settlement, um, because a lot of our stuff is new, then uh, you know, 12 months later, they've got a completed house. They need to rent it now. So I thought, well, we need a property management company. And at that stage, I had quite a, pr- a bunch of properties I, I needed to have managed myself. So we employed a property manager. Um, again, they were in our new Regent Street. I think there were four of us in there, and then eventually, I employed a, um, a, a an assistant for the th- for the four of us. Um, 
So there were five squished into an office in New Regent Street and we just sold property and rented them out at the end. Um, uh, Nowadays, it is a much more extensive beast. I think we've got um, uh, 87 staff across the group, um, ranging from uh, a a full-time reporter, a a few graphic designers actually, uh, a production manager, um, a marketing manager, a marketing assistant, um, the editors of the magazines, um, a bunch of property managers we've Picked over a thousand properties under management uh, across New Zealand, um, and 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 the accounting business and all the other extras. Wow! So along the way, basically, anytime there's a niggly point in business then I want to fix it. So I'll either fix it by finding someone to partner with or I'll start it myself. So the accounting is a great example. We used to refer out to a bunch of accountants um, and clients would get differing advice. And it shouldn't be differing advice. It should be the same advice and you should have a structured way of doing it. It should be easy for people. And if people say to me when I have an annual review with them, oh, the accountant's a bit of a pain in the butt. I haven't, you know, it's pain getting me all this, uh, the, the information and he hasn't appreciated my channels, just technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I think, well, this is dumb. So I uh, eventually partnered with a, a, a successful accounting firm in Auckland uh, that's owned by a friend of mine. Said, hey, can you white label a product for me? They have a fixed fee model for my clients under, under a brand uh, that we co-own. Um, that business will be as big as his business, which he's been building for years, next year. Wow. Well, that's quite smart though, right? Just looking for issues in the, in the industry. So I randomly came across um, Domino's Pizza, right? They had a similar concept a couple of years ago. And they remember they went there huge with that. Are they dying or are they growing? That new CEO came on board. They bought all their suppliers. Yeah, great idea. Every, uh, every single one. The pots, pans, even now, the reason I know is because I used to be in electric bikes and they yeah. bought they bought um, an electric bike company because they they bought a whole bike company internationally because they foresaw that pizza was going to be delivered on bikes. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing for me and the reason I do it is because any, any uh, part of the business that becomes niggly for someone reflects on me. So even if the uh, client's using an external uh, property manager or an external uh, mortgage broker or an external accountant, if they find it painful, they're not going to come back and buy again. And my business model is about repeat business. Mm -hmm. It always has been as a broker to now. Um, I want people not to buy from me once. I want them to buy from me for the life of uh, their their working life or their investing life. And then I want their kids and I want their friends and I want Mm -hmm. their family to invest with me. That only happens if it's always good. Yeah. And look, mistakes will happen, but I can control the mistakes a lot better if I own the company that's uh, offering the service. Yeah, that makes sense. And look, to go from um, four employees in New Regent Street to 84 and we have the space of how long? Uh, let, let's say that's nine years. Nine yeah. years. I mean, like, what a ride. I mean, it's probably been exponential. You've probably probably <laughs> uh, at yeah. least half of those in the last couple of years, Absolutely, right? yep. yeah. Um, I mean, and look, I'm not. I'm not um, by any means a manager. Um, I like doing my job. Um, I don't like dealing with. Uh, um, I don't like dealing with um, niggly things like you know people uh, being sick and rejigging diaries and mm. all those kind of things. When Ed came on board, um, which was only a few years ago, I think he's just ticked over three years. Um, uh, Ed reminded me the other day that I set up his emails on his laptop and set up his email signature. Now, nowadays, we've got an IT guy that does all that. Um, and in business, it does make you realise how much you have to be a jack of all trades when you're starting a business because you can't afford to have an IT guy. Mm. Um, but as time goes on and you've got some economies of scale, setting up those other people who are specialists in their field to do things, way better. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then it just gives you the ability to stick the things, stick to the things that you're really, really good at, right? Absolutely. Like, like I mean, look, the staff don't want to be um, talking to me about uh, their problems. They'd, they'd rather talk to Ollie, who's uh, my business partner and the GM of the group, um, because he's he's um, he's better with those things. He's more patient. He's more mm. understanding. He's mm. more empathetic. Um, whereas I, you know, I don't mean to not be. Mm. I just aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is like you know like the dollar productive behavior always is, is really interesting to me because. You know, and the rule I was taught that sort of said, you know, if you could, if you only had four hours in a week to work, it's like, what were the things you do in that four hours? And that's a really good way to figure out what is the actual things that you do that are the most important to whatever it is. Yes. And so, what, like, you've you've experienced that through the other way, I guess, is you've 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 gone through having to do everything, and now through scale, through having to be able to employ and 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 um, delegate, you've been able to stick to the things that you probably enjoy the most, I would say, and yep. are also best at. So, what is that for you now? Uh, it's working. So nowadays, so on Monday for me is um, basically I have um, a meeting with my business partners at 9am and then I have a meeting with the entire um, uh, company. Um, well, sorry, two divisions of the company, the mortgages and the uh, the, the investment sales. Um, and we all get together and we talk about what's happening in the market, what's happening with everyone's clients, where the issues are, the pain points, all those kind of things. Then back to back for the next Five hours. I have half-hour meetings with all the, with all ten of my um, investment sales people, property partners we call them, um, and basically work through on an individual basis where their pain points are and how I can help. Now that was that was a job that um, I was originally going to outsource. Um, we decided not to. Uh, a few months ago because it was hard to find the right person to do that job. I found that incredibly uncomfortable because I didn't like – I mean, my, my team that I'm close with, I, I know that they're all doing a good job um, all of the time. But if they're having a hard time or they're not performing, I don't like having those conversations. Um, so – I had to kind of teach myself how to be, I don't know, a sales manager without being a sales manager. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, we've had to put in place some systems to measure kind of accountability. Um, and that works really well. And it's funny because it's really changed the dynamic between my relationship and some of the, the team. Some of the team that I find quite frustrating uh, because they're probably a little bit like me. So ask heap, heaps of questions and I don't have time to answer them. Now that we've got designated times, it works really well. So we have, so so I have um, two, two hours meetings, then I have five hours back-to-back -back, uh, meeting with my team. And then I do probably four or five hours worth of podcast recordings. Mm -hmm. So that's a Monday. Now that's, that's somewhat efficient use of my time and it's working really well. The rest of the time, um, uh, usually uh, Tuesdays through Thursdays, I work with investors. So I'll sit down and I'll have one-on-one -on -one, uh, time with investors. Now we made the decision again six months ago that um, I need to, to step off the tools, not work with investors, just focus on growing the team. It was horrible for me doing that. Um, we we didn't do as many deals. I lost um, touch with what was the the right thing in the market, um, and and I decided once we had a baby um, that I'd squeeze more investors in and, and just keep doing what I love, and that works really really well. Um, and as a result, the business is better. I'm happier doing that. But my focus is is and always will be working with people one on one. Yeah. So when you say investors, you mean people looking to buy a property yep. through that. Absolutely. That's, that's it. So most of your time is doing that. Most yeah. of my time. And they're actually being at the coalface. Yeah, yeah, yep. cool. And um, uh, when you when you step back and you look at nine years now, like you're clearly very ambitious. And, and generally, people that are ambitious, you know, we, you know, we, we don't take stock often. Like, do you look back now and do you have a minute to look back and go far out? Like, 
So, right. so we um, we do a um, what we call a state of the nation every year, um, and we've done that for I think this is the third year running. And um, every year I go to the previous year's slides and I update the figures, and it is insane for me how far we've grown. That's probably the only time that I do it. That or a Christmas party when I wander around and try and figure out who people are. Um, so uh, I'll give you an example. So the first state of the nation we did was three months after releasing the podcast. Now, at that stage, I had on the slide, um, we were just about to take over 15,000 downloads and we were like beside ourselves happy, 15,000 downloads. Um, now, three years later, we're about to hit 5 million and we get about 60,000 downloads a week. Um, uh, back then, we were doing, um, I think we ha- would help 200 investors a year. Oh, no, no. Back then, we probably do about 100 investors a year. Um, now, we could comfortably do that in a month and that's kind of over the last three years that that's changed um and i think because you're always you're always chasing the next big goal it's really important to look back and see what you've done that's why that state of the nation is an important thing for not only us but also our our team so that they can all see hey we've actually done this and it's amazing every year when i set the goals for the next year everyone gasps that's outrageous we we, like that how are we going to do that and every year we blow it out of the water Wow, it is amazing, isn't it? When that sort of stuff happens, and like, I, I, yeah, I, I think everyone's the same. If you get to sort of look back, but something like a state of the nation is probably a, a good opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Do was there a point when? You know, you look at now. You're saying doing a thousand a month. Is that what you just said? Oh, we could we could comfortably. We, we, this year, I'd imagine we'll help probably 700 investors. Mm. Um, but but like last month, we helped 100. So mm. look, um, this has absolutely been a more challenging year mm. with the housing market. So so we're not we're not. Um, we're not going to hit the goal that I really wanted, but that was the ambitious goal. Hopefully, mm. none of my staff listen to this because I always, mm-hmm. I actually have two goals. We have a goal that we have um, behind the scenes, and then we have the goal that all the staff work towards, um, and we pedal like how to get it. Um, we'll be somewhere between those two goals this year, um, which was a little bit disappointing. But then I realised actually you can't change the market. Um, we've just got to make sure we keep giving the best advice, and we we don't all of a sudden weaken our offering to try and hit a goal because the goal actually of the business isn't to be the best biggest, it's to give the best advice and the best service and be a long, uh, and the longevity of the company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, yeah, you put KPIs around it, but that's the ultimate measurement of it, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Was there a point that you realised this is going to be big? No, probably not. I I, I still, um, um, uh, that probably actually has happened um, as I've worked with other people. So there's a guy called John Urkler. John Urkler has been a bit of a mentor for me. He started a company called New Zealand Home Loans, who are a massive franchise and in a huge amount of business um, for for banks. I think they're bigger than TSB and uh, SBS combined. Like they, they they are a big lending organization. Now, John and I met um, through a mutual friend a number of years ago, and we just got talking at, at, a, um, at a drinks event, and he said, you need to come and see me, you should franchise. Anyway, me and my two business partners, the, the two other founding partners, uh, who, who have since gone on to do other things, um, we flew to his house in Hamilton, and he set us around a boardroom, and he basically bit us up for two days, telling us how shit we were, and how we needed to get our shit together. And he gave us a list of jobs to do. Now, one of the business partners left pretty soon after that because he wasn't he couldn't handle the heat. He wasn't interested in that, and that's fine. He was more interested in having a lifestyle. I was interested in growing a business. Now, that can cause conflict. Uh, and then um, I went away and we chipped away at those things. John and I hadn't really spoken a huge amount. Um, and then a couple of years ago, uh, maybe a year ago, um, I just rang him. 
because I was in Queenstown, he lives there, uh, rang him, said, hi, do you want to have a wine? Went out to see him. He said, how's business going? I said, good. These are the things I've done. I listed off everything. And he's like, holy fuck. When I told you to do all that stuff, I was just basically pushing you. Didn't let you go and do that stuff and then some more. We should really have a talk now. Um, now, his big model was franchising. That's not for me. I thought it was at that stage because I wanted to have a big organisation. I realised I want to have a great organisation. And sometimes franchising, you can lose a little bit of um, that. And so that's not for me. So um, uh, over the last 12 months, I've had uh, several catch-ups with John where, again, he will he's punishing. He'll put you in a room and basically scream at you, tell you, tell you you're an idiot for a couple of days, and then pat you on the back and say, you've done a good job with this. Um, when, I, when I met with John about a year ago, I told him kind of my goal was to get the business into a saleable position, not going to sell it necessarily, but saleable business by the time I'm 40 and have a family. Well, he said, why? And I said, because I want to have a family. I want to be able to give some time to that. He said, he calls me Andy. Andy, you're not going to do that. That's a shit idea. He's like, you'll be a terrible partner. You'll be a terrible father. You're home all the time. Don't be ridiculous. This business is going to be huge. And then we mapped out a plan for what he saw the business to be, which was even more than what I thought it was going to be, which was a big number uh, um, and a big organization. Um, so I ran my business partners and said, by the way, we're going to we're going to have to do this for another 15 years. Um, but this is the plan. And we've got some stuff in the pipeline, which is going to be massive if we pull it off, uh, when we pull it off. And so um, that made me realise, he, he said, just go, have a kid now, just take take two weeks off every holidays and, and do those kind of things. So anyway, we did that, followed his advice, and um, that probably made me realise that this is going to be a beast at some stage. Yeah. Cool, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And look, uh, I mean, I work. Uh, I work huge hours. Um, you know, last night, uh, Monday night, I I went home after podcast recording. Got home at about seven. I worked till about ten. We had dinner. Terrible time to eat dinner, I know. Uh, and then I carried on working for a couple of hours. Went to bed about one. Now that's not uncommon, but I love it. And if you enjoy your job, you never work, right? Someone yeah. said that. Someone, and um, you know, I, I am passionate about it. Some days, by the time you get to Friday, you're usually pretty fucking exhausted. Uh, you need to have a drink with your friends. Um, that last Friday, uh, it got to two p.m., and uh, my two business partners that are based in Christchurch and I went out for lunch at Earl, had a couple of wines, and just relaxed. Didn't answer our phones, just laughed together. And then that reminds you why you're doing it, um, because it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it is fun, and. Um you know, my question was going to be, is it worth it? But like, I can tell, like, the thing you have to, we all have to figure out is kind of what makes us all tick, you yep. know, like, and, and that's different for everyone. And for you, that's obviously, right. like, for some people, staying up to one o'clock in the morning doing work, it might as well you stick them in a torture chamber. And that's, and look, that's it. Like, for, for um, a lot of people out there, they want to finish their job at five and they want to go home and spend the time with their family and be completely present. And um, that's very hard for me to do, but that's in my makeup. That's not because mm. of, what I'm trying to build, that's just, you know, it's hard for me to switch off. So you've got to find that balance. Um, and, and I think a big part of that is having a supportive partner, um, uh, both in a relationship but also business partners because the, your, your partners and your friends as well all have to carry some of that weight because I'm a grumpy prick sometimes. <laughs> Hmm. Well, I, I always say there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's like, because, you know, if you have a shit time oh, shit, no. you have a shit time at home, you go to work and you're shit, and if you have a shit time at work, you go home and you're shit. And so like, no. you've got to – everyone sort of has to be on board with the – you know, with the, the sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, the way I look at it, and, and, and I say this to investors all the time, you're going to sacrifice in life one way or another. 
Are you going to sacrifice now or are you going to sacrifice later? Now, if you don't make sacrifices now, you will pay for it later. That is just facts. Um, but we don't like to we don't like to accept that because it means that we're going to have to do we're going to have to do something about it. It's like going to the gym, right? I've just finished at the gym this morning. It was painful as hell. And I didn't want to go, and I had a busy day, and I wanted to be clear-headed for this, but I went anyway, and afterwards you feel good about it. But then that's so you can make some yep. progress, right? So you just have to figure out, well, am I going to do that, or am I going to sacrifice my health and then just die yep. of a heart attack? Okay, pick your pain. That's yep. what I heard. You know, like, because it's, it's hard being in shape and healthy. It's also really hard being out of shape and yeah. unhealthy and it's, it's, it's hard being you know successful and wealthy and it's also really hard being poor and you know unhappy but I think um, like I have a great circle of friends I, I, I was talking to Lauren um, yesterday some of my friends and some of my friends have been uh, uh, my friends for longer than she's been alive which just blows her mind um, I mean I don't know whether or not it's just that I've got so much dirt on all of them that they know they can't leave because you can't <laughs> if you're listening um, uh, but, but I do have a really good circle of friends uh, uh, I've got a fantastic partner. Uh, I've uh, amazing business partners as well. Um, I, I have a good team around me and a good foundation. And so I am happy. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Like I was in a bad relationship for a number of years. Um, and I was, um, that relationship was toxic and my business didn't perform as well. Um, as soon as, you know, something in your life is is not right, you need to correct that because it just, it, it takes up mental bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, Obviously, you know, we've talked about, you've listed some of the successes and stuff, and talk to me about some of the challenges, maybe not necessarily the details of it, sure. but, you know, like, you know, in anyone growing a business from what you have to where you have now, there's obviously some big challenges. You've had business partners that have, but that have that's done a on you. That's probably one of the hardest things because I get into business with people I like and they inevitably become my friend. I couldn't be business partners with someone I, that I don't care about deeply. And some of those people have let me down um, and, and at really awkward times as well, um, you know, um, some of my business partners were ripping me off while I was going through a separation of that toxic relationship. You know, that was a pretty low point. Um, uh, the COVID lockdowns and then having, you know, finally got to a point where we were financially, you know, ahead and then we go into lockdown and I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm responsible for at that stage maybe 30 people's livelihoods. I might lose it all. Um, that Christchurch earthquakes, I had a large portfolio of properties. Um, they were in Christchurch. Um, the uh, Christchurch earthquakes meant that, you know, I, I didn't know whether or not that was all going to be for nothing at that stage. Um, uh, as I've had staff that have um, stolen, um, uh, uh, you know, not stolen cash, but stolen, you know, clients and IP and those kind of things. All of those things are challenges and they eat away at you. Uh, I've got one at the moment where, um, you know, a guy that we really did a lot for, um, has asked for a lot of money now that we've terminated his contract. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's so disappointing when that happens. And uh, one of my friends actually said the other day, it amazes him that I still trust so much. And I do, and I'm just glad that I'm not bitter and twisted um, because, you know, Life's too short for that stuff. I will fight something. So there was a guy that stole some clients. We went through court. I won the court case. And then I saw him two weeks later at an event. I went and shook his hand and said, glad that's all over. Um, obviously, yeah, we both had to go through that. But just so you know, 
I'm here to have a chat tonight. We're not, we're not friends anymore, but at least at least we're over that. And he, he was happy that I was gracious enough to kind of go and shake his hand and not make it awkward. And I think that's a really important thing. And and like you can't let um, the things that have happened in the past um, uh, ruin the potential for the future. I would rather trust someone again and have them let me down than not trust someone that's loyal. Mm. Interesting way to look at it. Yeah, and so what's what? Like you know, again, anyone's going to be been to challenges. You've certainly listed a, f- a couple there. Um, what's helped you? I mean, obviously, you know, anyone listening to this, I can tell you're very enthusiastic. You're very passionate about this. Um, so you've certainly got that. Is there anything else that's sort of, you know, because the things you've listed, particularly like earthquakes, you know, um, that were major global <laughs> pandemics, yeah, yeah. you know, like and and there's probably a lot of people listening that are you know that are business owners who went through um, the same sort of thought process the, the same, sleepless you know, nights yeah the sleepless nights and there was a scaremongering by mainstream media and everyone thought that, you know we thought our businesses were cooked and I was trying to look for ways to offload things as well and um, you know I mean I, I don't know what I how, how, how I'd answer that question but was there maybe you didn't have a choice you just got to keep going uh, that's exactly it so when when you realise that uh, so my, I remember one of the um, uh, the um, upsetting times of my child. Well, when I was working at the bank, so so I was maybe nineteen. My dad rings me up one day. Worked for a company called Sandvik for like twenty five years as their storeman, and he rang me up and he said, "I need to ask you about something. I got this letter today. It says there's going to be a restructure, and I have to go in for a meeting." Now I'm I'm involved enough in business at that stage that I know what that means. You're about to be made redundant, Dad, and they couldn't afford to not have an income from him. And so I said, I'll come, I'll come and see you. We'll talk about this. And then I went into that meeting with him. Now, I remember sitting there in that meeting because he was a lot of support person and, and they had the manager and they said, and, and it's all just a fucking dance, right? They all do this just so that they can let you go. They said, um, can you think of some ways that um, we can save money to make your role work? And I said, isn't that your job? Isn't that your job to figure that out? Because you don't pay dad enough to figure that out. Your job's a CEO. You figure it the fuck out. <laughs> and it really annoyed me. And as as an employer of a lot of people, I know that all those people have jobs and they've got kids and they've got a lot of responsibilities and the financial anguish of them not having a job is a lot. So I take that really seriously. And so um, for me, when COVID, for example, hit, um, uh, I remember my business partner and I stopped paying ourselves a salary. Um, we paid everyone else their salary uh, and, and we wanted to make sure that they didn't worry about it. And it's funny because we had daily meetings at that stage to make sure they were all okay, that they all felt okay, uh, that they knew we were going to get through this. I was worried like hell. Um, I was worrying about it but never said anything and uh, I remember someone saying to me, I can't believe that you you knew that that was going to work out. I was like, there's no way I w- w- thought that that was going to work out. I just didn't know. But I no had no choice. Right. No one did right, yeah. I just had to keep positive because – you know what? You can't change. You can't change anything. You can change how you are going to react to it, but we remain positive. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was the that was the one thing that happened, particularly during COVID, for for people was uncertainty, right? It's like Absolutely. people just didn't know what was going to happen when, and that just when scared was it going to end? Yeah, when was it going to end? Was it, you know what was the what was the next month year? 
to, you know, like no one knew anything, right? And I think that was the, that was certainly the approach we tried to take as well was like, you know, like there's a lot of unknowns and acknowledging them, but then giving them some certainty about this is what we're going to try and do at least. Yeah. And we're very transparent about it. Hey, look, we've got X amount of money. We can continue to pay everyone for X period of time. Um, grants are coming through. Um, uh, at some point, there might have to be an adjustment. Uh, uh, I think we let them know that Ollie and I weren't paying ourselves at that stage because we wanted them to be paid first. Um, we, we made sacrifices where we could, um, but I mean, we saved on travel expenses at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just said the word transparency, and like, I don't know a huge amount about your business, you know, from the outside, but it seems like it seems what you do, particularly with that mindset you've had with the podcast, it seems everything you do is very transparent. Also, I want to say sort of authentic, like you sort of, you know, I follow Opus and I follow you and Ed and stuff, and it's sort of, it seems like you're having a lot of fun. It yep. seems like it's you're very sort of, um, you know, with business, particularly the the old school paradigm, which to be honest, I'm probably still subscribed to a little bit, is that you seem you keep your clothes close to your chest. Yeah, yeah, you know? no, we, we don't. And, and when we started the podcast, we were very serious and very um, uh, by the book with everything. Now we're just ourselves. And, um, you know, even even a few times, you know, some of my um, Instagram content, you know, it's outrageous, some of the things we put on there and we play pranks on each other and do all those kind of things, but that's us. Um, but also we're transparent from our staff's side of things. So we have a weekly podcast that goes out internally called Full Disclosure, and we will talk about everything. So we'll talk about about some of the challenges in the business. We'll talk about how we're dealing with them. Um, I have a quarterly board meeting. After that, uh, uh, Ollie and Ed often relay a bunch of the things that we've talked about, and it will be everything. Like, here's what's happening. Uh, and and we also have an open-door policy. Anyone can talk to anyone at any time because I don't want to have an organisation where there's secrets going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of little conversations avoid big conversations. Is what I was taught. Yeah, yep. but it, it seems it's still quite unique. You know, is that something you were intentional about building, or is that something that sort of evolved as a relation to your personalities? Uh, I think I think um, a bit of both. Um, you know, I always want to have a good culture, but um, we we as we've grown have put more focus on that because we've been able to. So um, we we've got a. Um, a People and Culture Manager, I think it's called now, mm-hmm. um, uh, Eleanor, who's fantastic, and a big part of her role is to make sure that we are um, giving enough support to everyone. So, for example, one of the podcasts on Full Disclosure the other day was about uh, miscarriages. Now, several of the girls in our business have had miscarriages over the last couple of years, and there's a horrible topic and a horrible uh, thing to uh, talk about and really confronting. Um, but it was a really amazing – it was amazing to me that – those three girls that came on that podcast to talk about what had happened were willing to do that for the benefit of everyone else in the business so they understood how to uh, at least cope with it um, if they went through it themselves but also how to deal with it when it's other staff members because we are we are you know all in this together and um, you know w- People know within the business if someone's having a problem in their relationship or a problem at home or or a problem with money or something like that, and they know that they can get some help, and that's the kind of business I want to have, that you can actually have that conversation. Hey, I'm having a really rough time at the moment, so I might just need a bit of support here. Mm, yeah, the internal podcast is interesting. I've never heard I mean, yeah. essentially what, there used to be like newsletters and there was no. intranets and stuff like that. Yeah, intranets. Yeah, yeah. We're actually thinking, uh, like I've been toying with the idea of making that public as well. Um we may end up doing that. And and the reason for that is purely that if someone wants to come and work with us, they can listen to it and think, oh, yeah, that's a company I want to be part of. Well, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, 
Yeah, cool though. I mean, even like uh, you know, your podcast studio. I, I've just seen it from you know from online, but that, that probably would rival, be better than most radio studios uh, were five years a lot ago. Of money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like with the cameras and that sort of. Uh, I guess you've got a full time editor for that yep. now as yep. well. Yeah, David, right? who who um, does a wonderful job cutting out um, any ums, ahs, and swear words, uh, and just the uh, the ridiculous things that sometimes I just say to. Piss it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um there's nothing like a listening back to yourself on a podcast to recognize how much you your your way of talking is not efficient. You I know, never like, do it. I don't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's um I the the first couple of podcasts I got are the ums and ahs taken out. Yes. And then um I was like, oh maybe I don't it's not that bad. And then I got a couple with it out done and I was like, oh my God, you can literally hear me thinking through. <laughs> through uh, Ed's got some habits. Uh, uh, he's he's stopped doing some of them, but he go, um, 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 ah, 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 ah. And so we started cutting those out. But also um, we invest a little bit in, in that kind of stuff as well. So we've got a guy we work with, Michael Philpot, who's a speech coach, um, a legendary speech coach in New Zealand. Um, we, uh, with the release of our book, we're doing a book tour. So Ed and I are Currently going through our speeches on that. Now Ed does all the heavy lifting for me. He's great. He's written my speech. We're critiquing it. The good thing is because we spend so much time together, he knows every story. Uh, and so he's put together a, a great speech for me and now I've got to learn it. And so we're working with Michael to, again, articulate that in an efficient way, in an interesting way, um, because I've been to so many speeches and you're falling asleep, right? We want it to be engaging and we want to be engaging on the podcast, the webinars, the speeches, all of those kind of things. It seems like, you know, it's that cliche of that 1%, but it's all these little things you've seen just by listening to your talk for the last hour or so. It's just all these little 1% things that you sort of look at the business and go, I just want to make that a bit better. Is that yeah, fair? Absolutely. And I think because we're a relatively small organisation, we can do that with ease. Um, part of one of our um, changes in the next wee while is we're establishing a uh, much more robust governance board. Um, now that will bring some challenges because people will challenge me on my thinking and that might delay some decisions. But to a certain extent, um, they know what they're dealing with. So we had a meeting with the two guys that we've currently got earmarked to come on that board and and they said what do you want what do you want us to do and what do you want us to provide in terms of governance and, and also what are you not willing to change I said I'm not willing to change the fact that we can actually we're agile we can make changes relatively quickly not big changes like there are some serious acquisitions that we're looking at at the moment that like multi-million dollar acquisitions I need them to check me mm. on all of those decisions but if I decide hey we're going to um, release the full disclosure podcast that's something we're just going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, that's yeah, any when you get to a certain scale, right? That's I guess what a what a board's designed to do. Governance is to is to check those. Well, we're in yeah. we're in financial services, and some of the stuff that we've got is big. Um, we need to have um that governance board so that if Andrew Nichol goes mental one day, um, they know that the people are protected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we talked about it a little bit off here, but you've you've had a and you've mentioned it a couple of times that you've had a had a baby recently as well. Yeah, fourteen um, weeks old tomorrow. Yeah, what a ride that is, though. Um, yeah, I mean, fortunately, I've got lots of friends that have had kids, and so they've been so delighted in the fact that I'm going to have even less sleep, and it's going to uh, like it's actually going to put a spanner in the works, and they're excited about that journey for me. Um, thanks, friends. Uh, but it's been relatively easy uh, for me because Lauren has done all of the heavy lifting um, so far, which is great. Um, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying having a, a baby. 
It's very different. You go out for dinner at eight o'clock at night and they cry. Um, and so you go home early. Um, but look, I mean, it, it was going to happen at some stage, so why not happen now when yeah. I've got a bit of energy? Yeah, <laughs> that's one way to look at it, right? Um, a couple of things to finish up. You know, like, I guess one is like you clearly, um, you know, as far as property investment goes, is uh, you know, it's a, you've done 1,100 odd episodes about it. Like, there's a lot to talk about. but And you clearly know a lot, as you've you even conveyed in the last hour or so. But if, if there's someone listening, right, and we're just, I don't know how to quite phrase it, but maybe if you were to somehow dilute all the information into a couple of key points that are going to add the most value to someone listening about property yep. investment, what would that be? So if you're thinking about investing in property um, and you've been doing that for a year, you're overthinking it. Um, and if you're going to try everyone wants to pick the bottom of the market and that's probably what's happening right now. And the nervousness of this market is probably stopping people investing. That's the worst thing you can do. An action will cost you greatly. So um, uh, I'm all for actually doing it. Um, and this is from someone that seriously it took me probably uh, somewhere between nine and 12 months to buy my first rental property it was only when Tony Mount said just do it already and I went and did it um, and and look that's what we try and we, we try and give people all the tools and Opus to to be able to have that confidence to be able to do it whether you use us or you do it yourself um, but there's no, there's no real secret source other than buy a property make sure you can hold it long term and then hold it long term don't be afraid when the market dips a little bit don't sell it then also similarly if the market goes up for 100 grand don't sell it then either if your goal's a million dollars from it hold on to it for those 15 years that you need to hold on to it yeah yeah that's great there's uh, i've told the story before i think paul's even my father yes. paul i think you've met you know he's he, done a bit in property as well yeah, he is yeah he's he, his, his great story is always the first house he ever sold um which was about nineteen thousand yeah. dollars in uh in christchurch here and in, in 86 or 85 or something you know and he just tells a story he said he'd be he'd he'd probably be better off now if he'd kept every house that he sold in that Absolutely. first year than if he'd gone on to pursue business for 35 Absolutely. years. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, look, and property is probably the easiest business. So property has always been my foundation. So I know no matter what happens in business, I've got a portfolio that will support me for the lifestyle I want later on. Mm-hmm. But business is fun. And that's what it keeps me keeps uh, idle hands of the devil's work, right? Um, I, I have to be doing something during the day or – John Eckler was right. I'd be a pain in the ass at home. Um, I'd have to take up golf or something horrendous like that. So so for me, business is fun. For a lot of people, it's not. So do your job. Um, go Do your nine to five. But it's what you do with that money that you earn that's going to make you wealthy later on. You can either spend it on consumables, going away on holiday, doing all those things. I'm not saying don't do those if they make you happy. You don't want to get to the end of your life and have a bunch of money in the account and not be enjoying it. But Make some sacrifices now because it's not that big a sacrifice. Make some sacrifices now so you can have an awesome life later on. Yeah, that's great advice. Three things to finish up. Um, What next? Uh, uh, I want to have a mortgage product uh, in the next year. Uh, That is something I'm working on vigorously at the moment. I want to be able to offer finance uh, uh, direct uh, to clients. Um, That's something that we will work on until we get it done. It's um, been 12 months in the process at the moment. It's nowhere near where I wanted it to be at this time. Uh, That's been been a challenge for me because I'm an impatient uh, guy. Uh, When you say a mortgage product, sorry, do you mean like... want to be a bank. You want to be lending money, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the next big thing. Um, Other than that, that, there's always something else on the horizon, um, but that is my key focus at the moment. Have you seen Billions? 
Yeah. <laughs> great, great program. Isn't it what? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it Bobby's goal? Isn't he want to end up being the bank? Yeah, I don't yeah. think that worked out for him because he's a bit more. He's a bit more. He he deals in the grey a lot more than I yeah. would be comfortable with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally cool. Um, and the book. Tell me about the book. So, book wealth plan comes out in November. It will be in sh- William bookshops in um, February. There was a mix up with the dates or something with the publicist, and so it's coming out next year, which is a bit frustrating. Uh, again, because I'm impatient, but we're doing the pre-release of that. If anyone does want to uh, uh, know more about that I think there'll be information on our website from tonight mm-hmm. tonight's webinar is on the book and and kind of the concept from the book mm-hmm. It's a step-by-step guide on how to build wealth through property investment in New Zealand. Um, and it has a bunch of tools on there that will link back to our website that you can figure it all out yourself. And again, you don't have to use a service like us if you if you decide it's the right fit for you, but this will tell you step-by-step how to invest in property and the different parts of the journey. So if you're starting out what you need to be working on, which is buying old properties, renovating them like I did, then if you're running the race, so you're you know midway through your career, then you're probably buying new hands-off because you've got a family and you've got full-time job and then crossing the finish line when you're actually turning that uh, those assets into something liquid and an income that you can live on for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And so that'll be out in February though? Out, out in February, but you can pre-buy from our website. Uh, yeah. I think we, we'll have our copies in November. We're doing the t- uh, book tour uh, in late November uh, where we're hitting Christchurch, Auckland, Wellington, Queenstown and Hawke's Bay. And all the details are on on the website. Wonderful. Can I, can, I, can I make an observation? Sure. You are indistinguishable from your business. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like in, in, in an absolutely complimentary way. Like what I mean is like well, the, the idea of this podcast is I really want to talk about you. Yeah. You know, and your journey and stuff. But yeah. like you're you are I don't say you are your business. No, but, no, but I, I, you're, I'm you're entrenched in it. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. even entrenched. Like it is you. It's yeah. like it's a it's like it's another arm. No, <laughs> not, not maybe not the business, but I don't want to. The business is like almost sounds a bit sort of um, shallow. It's more like like you are what you do. You yeah, know? Like, absolutely. And, and whether it was a business or you're working for someone or you had done something else, it's like this is just yeah. part of who you are. Yeah. So you're so passionate about it, so enthusiastic. It's um not everyone gets that, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm glad that I found something that I love and then I've learned to monetize it. And for anyone getting into business, that's what you should do. Find something you're passionate about it and then figure out how to monetize it because that's a good business. That's one you can work till 1am for. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. And uh, two more things. What are you most proud of? Like you look at the rap sheet of things that you've been able to do. Like, uh, um, I, I think I think um, probably my relationship is probably the, the thing. Uh, I, I, as I said before, I've been in a terrible relationship prior to, uh, to this one. I've had some great relationships, um, but but uh, uh, this one is is one that where I've felt comfortable that I can have a baby, uh, that I've got a partner that supports my business um, uh, mind and, and, and the direction that it takes me on. Um, that's prob- and, and it's required me to change and be more focused on my relationship as well because I can't have a good relationship if I'm not investing in it. Um, so that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, nice. And last one, what do you wish everyone knew? No, I ask this to everyone because, like, you've got a lot in your head. I can see you thinking already. But I just want you to think for a second because, you know, like, there's a, a sort of phrase that says, you know, if, if for some reason the entire planet was going to listen to the next 90 seconds of this podcast and it was going to be it was your advice to them, what would you say? I, I'd say um, that, that it's okay to be where you are at the moment um, because I think a lot of um, self-judgment and, and self-loathing comes from people's position and people will go to their job whether it's with their job or their relationship or whatever, um, we feel like we're not doing a good enough job. It's okay wherever you are because, you know, that's just the way it is. But 
if you want to change it, you need to actually do something about it and, and recognize that you know, I just don't take any excuses. If someone wants to change their life, I, I've got a friend um, who I've kind of phased out of my life because he'll always complain about the cards he's been dealt, but he's been dealt the same cards as a lot of people. And in a lot of ways, he's been a lot more fortunate than some people. And I just don't like when people then complain about it and don't make change, make change. Andrew Nichol, that was an insightful hour or so. I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for sharing so openly. Um, uh, the Opus Partners website is? Opuspartners.co.nz, O-P-E-S-partners.co.nz, or just Google Opus Partners, uh, Property Academy Podcast if you want to listen to podcasts. Mm, and you're pretty active on Instagram. Is best yep, place uh, which is ooh, Andrew Nickel, N-I-C-O-L. I don't know what else. <laughs> we'll find you. Cool. Awesome. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks very much. And there we go. Man, Andrew Nichol, what an amazing guy. What a crazy story as well from where he started from to where he is today. And I hope it came through in, in, in the podcast, but his energy, enthusiasm, his his passion for what he does is, um, is certainly undeniable. And you can, again, tell why he's been so successful. And um, you know, literally from the second he turned up to the second he left, he was like that. And he ran out the door 10 minutes late to his next appointment already. So I'm obviously hugely grateful for his time, making the time to come and chat with me today. And um, I'm hugely grateful for you as well for checking out the Road to Success podcast. I only get to chat with people like Andrew because uh, people like you listen. So thank you so much. And if you did take something out of today's conversation with Andrew, if you could please do uh, one of the following three things, or even all three, if you're feeling particularly generous today, one would be to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. There'll be a rating option or a review option. Again, it helps the podcast grow. You can also subscribe to the podcast. So hit that subscribe button. You will then get notified when a new episode comes out. And lastly, if you could share wherever you listen to your podcast, right now. Just hit the share button and you can uh, share it to whichever social media platform you use most or you can tell someone to go and check out the Road to Success podcast again on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. And look, if you've ever listened to these podcasts before, you know how much I love getting to have these conversations with uh, people like Andrew. The the other side of the coin is that they cost me money. It costs me money to get everything produced up, to get it all looking nice and sounding good online. And um, look, that's perfectly fine by me. I love doing it and that's the reason I do it. But I cover the cost of my podcast through my speaking events. So I'm a professional speaker and uh, I go around and talk at conferences and events, uh, sharing my story and uh, some of the things that helped me through the challenges that I faced. And uh, look, if you, an organization you know or a business are looking at having an event and you'd like to have a speaker and you would consider me, then you can jump online to mattylovell.com and there you'll find all the information. And that would be much appreciated. Again, it just helps me have more of the conversations that you've listened to today. One more time, a huge thank you to Andrew for taking the time and for sharing uh, as openly as he did today. A huge thank you to you for checking out the podcast. And until next time, love you. See ya. Bye.